Today is a great day, and let me tell you why today is a great day. Well, first of all, you're breathing. That's good, right? So that's a good thing. Yes, so you're here. Thank God for that. And today is a day that we gather together in worship, and we're thankful for that. But also today is the day that we start through our journey through the book of Romans. So we're excited about that, and, and it's a tremendous book. In fact, if you really do some research and understanding of what the book of Romans means to us in Christianity and the church, then what we realize, well, take the word of people like Martin Luther, who said to us that simply the father of the, Re- the Reformation, that is perhaps the most important book for you and I as Christians to really have a grasp and a working knowledge of in the entire New Testament. And so I'm excited that we're going to begin this journey all the way up to that of Advent season and see where we are when we get there, because you know how we can be, right? It's sometimes we get kind of carried away in some really good books of Scripture, and it takes us a while to get through them, but that's okay. So get your Bibles, your devices. Let's start our journey together this morning in Romans, well, chapter 1, verse 1. That's a great place to start, isn't it? Absolutely. And so to this morning, we've simply called this the gospel because that's exactly where Romans begins. So Romans chapter one, verse one, in just a moment, we will read together. But let me start by saying this to you, because what we find here is an introduction. And, and so it made me think, you know, how to talk about Paul's introduction. And, and so I thought about my own life. And so I remember, I remember the first time that I really noticed Reba. Reba's my wife, if you don't know that. But I remember the very first time that I actually noticed her. She has no idea what I'm about to say. I did not approve this by her. So hang on. Um, if you have an empty room at your home, you may ne- I may need that when this is over. But nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Now, we had class together. We went to college together. So I saw her from a distance. She saw me from a distance. But there was the very first time that she caught my eye. I, I, I remember that. It was way back in 1978. That's a long time ago, right? It's way back in 1978, post office, Lee University, when I first really looked at her in a way that I've never kind of looked at her before. And, and I thought about that setting. I, I kind of looked like John Travolta, and she sort of looked like Olivia Newton-John. And yes, it was a scene from the movie Grease is what it was, right? For us, it really was the music and everything in the background. And I saw her and I realized that's what I wanted. And you say, Mark, what do you mean? That I wanted a relationship with this vibrant, witty, smart, powerful, beautiful woman. But there was a problem. And we knew each other from a distance, but yet we didn't have a close relationship. We'd never gone on a date. I don't know if we'd ever really had a conversation, really. She sort of stayed away from me, I think, in some ways, and maybe that was a good thing. So I had to do something which is really nerve-wracking. I had to introduce myself to her. And, and that was kind of difficult because she had to, because she didn't know me, so she doesn't know my intentions. That's kind of, you know, what it, what it comes down to, isn't it? When we have an introduction to someone that we really don't know, we really don't understand their intentions. But she sort of knew me, and she knew me because my reputation preceded me. Not that I was a really bad person, it's not that, but she, I was probably not the person that she was looking to spend the rest of her life with. It, it wasn't that. So I'm longing for this relationship with her. How do you introduce yourself to someone that you just don't know? 
but you've seen them from a distance. Maybe you've even heard them talk or speak sometime. But how do you introduce yourself to someone that you really have never met before? How do you communicate your intentions that you want a relationship with that individual? How do you communicate that you have something maybe encouraging or important to speak into their life or contribute to them? And you say, Mark, this is the first week of Romans. I didn't realize Romans talked about dating. This is not about dating. This is not about dating at all. This is about Paul and his desire to have a relationship with the Christians, the church in Rome, whom he had never met before in a face-to-face meeting. He had never been with them before, but yet he desires to have a relationship with them. So I think they have to be wondering, Paul, what are your intentions with us? You know, what, what is it that you intend to do or say to us that because we've never met you, so how do we trust you? And the first seven verses of the book of Romans chapter 1 is Paul's introduction to a group of people that he has never met face-to-face with, and he's, he's building trust with them by revealing his intentions. You know, I don't know if Reba questioned my intentions the first time we met or not. I don't know. Did you? I, I, I don't know. No, she did not. See, there you go. It's just perfect. We didn't practice that, but that's perfect. Absolutely. If she just said yes, then we'd have had a whole different part of this sermon, I think, to preach this. Yes. So what does Paul do? Paul writes a letter. You say, oh, that's the perfect thing, right? You know, it's kind of, if I don't know them and I want to get to know them, you write them a letter. It's like when you were in elementary school. What did you do? You pass notes, right? And you pass a note to somebody that you like and say, hey, do you like me? Circle yes or no, right? And then you get rejection. Then it bothers you the rest of your life and you find yourself in therapy because of that. And and so, right? And so he writes them a letter, but it's not like a letter that you and I would write because this letter is truly inspired by God. It's a letter not only written to them in Rome as Christians, but it's written to you and I today. And that's what makes it so powerful, I think. Because with Paul, there's never this out of sight, out of mind. And we're going to read that in just a moment because they're always on his heart. So he writes a letter to a group that he does not know, yet their reputation precedes them. He does know something about them. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. By the word servant, it's okay to write in your Bible. I tell you this all the time. Write the word slave. Now, I'm saying it to you because, one, that word sort of brings up something inside of us that infuriates us, that anybody would somehow imprison another human being, a creation of God, against their own will to use them for their own purposes. Yes, but there's a reason that God uses that word. Actually, the word there is slave. Because 85 to 90% of the population of Rome, that city, were either slaves or they were descendants of slaves. And in Rome, a slave actually had rights. And so a slave was paid by their owner, yet still a slave no matter what. And many times a slave was more like a member of their family, yet still a slave. The point is that what Paul does so, I think, masterly in his writings is this. He always has this point of connection. You're going to find those as we read through Romans. You're going to find these points of connection for you and I. Because what he does, he connects that using that word slave or servant as in applying to his status with God. That he simply is a servant of God. That he is Lord of his life. So that's what he established. And then he goes on to say this. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which is the theme of the book of Romans, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is powerful. Why? Because he just simply gave us the gospel story. Is exactly what he did. And he gives us the gospel story in his introduction to this church in Rome. Why? Because it's such a part of him that Paul does not exist outside of that story. That is a powerful point for you and I, that it is who he is. It's not information. It's not a wonderful story that we simply uh, repeat every year at Advent or that a resurrection season. But it simply describes who he is. And he goes on to say, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read this, what I realize is that he is establishing who he's talking with, and that's important. Because sometimes as we go through the book of Romans, you're going to dismiss some of these texts. It's going to apply to me, you know, that that's not me at all. And I'm, I'm free of that. And I'm not doing that anymore in my life. So this doesn't really apply to me. And to realize that he's writing to Christians, it says. Those that are loved by God. Those that are called to be saints. But yet they're a church in conflict because you have the Jewish faction of the church in Rome. And you have the, the Greek or the Gentile faction of the church in Rome. And they're fighting against one another at all times. And so Paul says, hey, I have a solution for you. And that solution is the power of the gospel. He's writing to church people. He's writing to people like you and I. Who sometimes we take this story for granted. And what he's saying to us is this. That even church people, even those that claim to be followers of Christ, need to hear the gospel. And you need to hear the gospel in God's version, not yours, not the world's version, not what you think it means, but yet of what God is saying to us, we need to hear the gospel. And so why does Paul take so much time in his introduction? In fact, if you look, we understand that this is the longest introduction that Paul ever gives to any of his letters that he's ever written. Why? Because the gospel is who he is. That is important. That's a point that we cannot miss. It's not just text or narrative for you and I. The gospel story is who he is. So I ask you a question this morning. When you hear the term the gospel, what comes to your mind? When you hear the term the gospel, what, does, what comes to your mind? If you have your Bible, you have a pen, you have something to write on. We're not giving you notes yet. We're going to start that very soon so you'll have them throughout the book of Romans. But yet, when you hear the term, the gospel, what comes to your mind? I think a lot of things come to your mind that brings us back to the traditional stories that we have heard, and nothing is wrong with that. But what does it mean to you? I think that's the question. What does it mean to you? How are you living in the light of the story and the reality and the fact of the gospel? Is it very personal to you? Let's read on. Verse 8. Here's what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And then he begins to talk about a prayer that he prays for those in Rome. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, he said, asking that however by God's will I may know now at least at last succeed in coming to you. He's expressing his heart. Here's what he says. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. If I pray anything today like Paul would throughout the book of Romans, you and I, as we make this journey, that 
in your life is imparted to you a spiritual gift that strengthens you. That you leave this journey, that we leave this journey together strengthened in God. We leave this journey with a, with a greater understanding of who we are in God and what God has done for us. Verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often uh, intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. And historically, when we read this, we realize that he's talking about the sovereignty of God, that God has not released him to come to them in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, that I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And I underline verse 15. That's why I read all that to get to this point. So that I am eager, he said, so that I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Preach the gospel to Christians. <laughs> I, I, I had to put a big underlined you know, kind of point in my Bible and a big question. Preach the gospel to Christians. That's what I wrote. I, I mean, what, what is he talking about? I, I don't understand because this is a gospel that he's talking about to you and I this morning as we journey through Romans. This is a gospel about God's righteousness given to sinful and broken people like you and I. That God has gifted his righteousness to sinful and broken people like you and I. That's a powerful thought. It is. So you said good morning to one another. I'm kind of getting back in my groove now, you know, kind of thing. And we're getting a little more comfortable. So you said good morning to one another. Can you turn to the person next to you and say to, say to them, God has gifted his righteousness to sinful, broken people like you. Could you say that to someone around you for a moment? Could you say that? You've always been wanting to say they're sinful and broken, right? Yes. Yes. Hey, they're going to say it back to you. Those of you that are home uh, watching us this morning, say the same thing to people in your living room. You know, that is important that you understand because that's the starting point. That's why we as Christians have to hear the gospel. That's why you and I have to have an understanding of what God is saying to us through the book of Romans. Because as we take this journey, God not only invites those in Rome to take this journey with him through this letter, but boy, he invites you and I too. He says, I'm eager to come and preach to you. And I would encourage you to invite someone else to join this with you. I would encourage you to invite someone to come with you on a Sunday morning or if you're at home, you know, watching by, by the Internet or whatever platform you're watching by, that you would simply invite someone into your home to, to simply take part of the book of Romans with you, that God would impart something spiritual to strengthen them. So here's two verses, verse 16 and 17, which is really the bulk of our teaching this morning from those two verses. And here's what he says in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe you've heard that text before. This is where it is. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So can I talk to you about two things? The first is this. It's the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But Paul starts this text out by saying that I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel. What does that mean? Because if you've ever read any of Paul's writings, and as we work our way through Romans, you're going to find out that he's not ashamed at all. Absolutely. He's extremely blunt. He's very pointed in the way he talks to you and I as, as followers of Christ. So is it to refute some kind of accusation that he's been ashamed? Is it to address some kind of problem in the lives of the Romans? And, and I want to say to you, I think it brings us to what the gospel really is that simply is this is more than some descriptive narrative that we absorb during certain holiday times of the year paul is not desiring to come to rome to simply conduct theological lectures with them that's not what he's doing 
He's coming to Rome to impart something supernatural into their lives, something that will change the way they live every moment of their life, something that will change the way they treat one another, whether they're Jewish or whether they're Greek or Gentile. It's going to change the way they simply do life. That's what I'm praying for us, that God would impart something so powerful and supernatural within our lives through the book of Romans that it changes the way we live. That's it. Because if we come here each week and we go through this textual discourse, but we leave unchanged, if we leave here and we still treat our neighbor as we treated before we came, if it was unkind, if we're simply doing the same things that we were doing before and nothing has changed in our life, then what have we done? So Paul says, I want to impart something to you that is simply going to bring change within your life. So it's the way you see the gospel is what he's saying. Yes, He says in verse 11 that we just read for our longness that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He's eager to preach the gospel to Christians in Rome because it's the power of God for salvation. That's the point. Yes, it's where we start in our understanding of of the gospel. It's exactly where we must begin because it's not that that it's simply the gospel contains the power. It's not that it is a conduit of the power of God. But what he says is that the gospel is the very power of God for salvation. And I thought about that power of God for salvation. Some of your text simply uses the word unto salvation. And what I realize is this, that our salvation this morning is three dimensional. And we have to wrap our mind around that. If I'm going to understand Romans and I have to understand how my salvation works within my life. And I think the question, because you think when I use the word salvation, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this so many times when I come to church. It's usually a word that we use at the end of the teaching when we invite people to come and give their life to Christ. So I've heard all this. So what is new about all this, Mark? I think the question is this. Are you living your life in light of that, of the the truth of the gospel being the power of salvation? Because that's what he's saying to the Roman church. He's saying you know about it. But it hasn't changed the way that you live in life. Our salvation is three-dimensional. Here here they are. It's that there's this past dimension of our salvation. That through justification, it's like I've never sinned before. It's that God has stopped keeping score in my life and your life. He no longer keeps score of all the things that I have done in life. So what I've done in the past is not and will not be held against me. And I think some of you live like it is today. You function every day of your life like something in your past God is holding against you. The past image of our salvation is that our past has been covered by the blood of Christ. It's been covered. That God no longer keeps score. But there's also this present dimension of my salvation. That I live in this constant, faithful flow of grace and mercy for my life. And that is, that is absolutely so powerful. That we're covered in the perfection of God's Son. So that when Jesus, God sees me, He sees me through the perfection of His Son, Jesus. That I don't have to be perfect. Why? Because He's perfect. We say this so many times. That this is not about perfection. But this is about the process and growth of my life. So simply I'm covered in the perfection of God on the days that I get it right and on the days that I get it wrong, that I'm covered. And I love that promise so that my service today, my service today with God, my obedience with God is not based on fear that somehow that 
that what I can do and or what I do in life may not be covered under his forgiveness. But what I realize is my obedience and service to God tonight is or today is not based upon fear, but it's based upon love. It's based upon the fact that I know that he loves me. That I don't say no to things in life that I should say no to and yes to things in life that I should say yes to when I know that they line up with what God's will is for my life because I fear him. I do those things because I know that he loves me and I function out of love. Why? Because I know there's continual flow of grace and mercy for my life. But there's also this future dimension of my salvation. That when Christ returns, he's going to make all things right. He's going to correct all injustices in this world. He's going to deliver you and I from that final judgment of God. We're righteous because he is righteous. And so what that all means is this. That God through his son Jesus satisfied all of God's wrath toward me past present and future and so he's you know just simply putting it he's no longer angry at me so what is your catalyst for walking with god that's huge yes some of you walk with god for maybe five months five weeks five years 50 years i don't know What is your catalyst for walking with God? What is your catalyst for simply knowing the will of God and doing that and being obedient to those things in your life? Is it love or is it fear? It's how you see your salvation. It's how you see the covering that God has placed over you through his son Jesus that simply we function out of love and not out of fear. But this power of God thing that Paul talks about here, he's addressing a very specific problem with the Christians in Rome. Can I tell you the gospel of Jesus is not a strategy for successful living? That, that's not what we're talking about today. That's not it. The gospel is not an opportunity for you to get everything that you want from God. That's not it at all. In fact, the gospel is not that of you always living in God's blessing and always living in God's favor. That is not what the God. In fact, the gospel is much more about Jesus than it is about you or me. It really is. It's the power of God. It's a declarative statement that this is not about human effort. That's exactly what this is. Paul is reminding you and I, it's not about human effort. It's not about my entitlement to get something from God. It's not that somehow God had to send his son Jesus so that I would have eternal life and I would live under the covering of his righteousness. It's not that at all because I am not entitled to any of that because this is a sovereign work of God for my life. So I thought about this word salvation. And you know what? Same word for the word deliverance. I don't know if you knew that or not. I thought it was geeky. You know, I know that I kind of geek out about things like that sometimes. But I tell you, that's important. It really is. And so I begin to think about the word deliverance. Ah, same word we find in the book of Exodus, where simply God speaks through Moses, who simply goes to Pharaoh. You know the story, maybe go read it in the book of Exodus. And simply he brings the children of Israel out after 400 years of slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. It's the same word deliverance that they use there. And I thought about this, what, why they use this same word here for salvation. And I'll tell you why. It's powerful. It really is. And here is the reason. Because if you correlate that with the Israelites in Egypt, what did they add to initiating their deliverance? 
What did they add? I'll tell you what they added. Here's what they added. They added complaining and whining, right? Is exactly what they did. They were the biggest complainers and whiners that you have ever been around in your life. They really were. They simply, they didn't trust God. They doubted God. They worked against God's servant Moses. They did all those kinds of things. Yet God intervenes on their behalf. That's salvation. That's deliverance for you and I. That God intervenes on our behalf without any initiative from us. And then Paul makes this very clear that this is for everyone who believes. Everyone. So I made a list. You want to hear my list? Here's my list. Here, here it is. You know, you've never said when I asked you a question, you never said, no, we don't want to hear that, right? Yes, because what would I do? I would still give it to you anyway. Isn't that right? Yes. So here's my list. It's for everyone. It's for everyone that is black or white or Asian or any other ethnicity or Latino or whatever. It is for everyone that is young like me or old like other people in the room, right? It's for those that are Democrats and Republicans. Boy, that's a thought that we could really talk about for a while. Let's move on. It's for liberals. It's for conservative. It's, it's for libertarians. It's for all those other. It's for those that are married and those that are single. It's for those that are heterosexual and homosexual. All of a sudden, all the air just went out of the room. It's for those that are pure and those that are perverse, for those that are wealthy and for those that are poor, for everyone who will believe upon him. Interesting. That God's part is that of being the power for salvation But my part is that my response to God and even my response is a gift of God by grace that I believe, that I believe. And when I realize that what that believe really means is that means I surrender and that means that I surrender my will to him and and that a very ability for me to even surrender to God today is a gift of grace that God has blessed me with and I bring really nothing to the table. So God, I surrender all of this, everything and God accepts back what really rightfully belongs to him in the first place and that is you and I. Wow. Ephesians 2, verse 8. We probably quoted this so many times. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What, what are we to surrender and what are we to accept here? That What do we accept here is this, that my salvation is simply only through the power of God. I think that's what we have to do. That there's nothing in this world because of that that can touch it. There's nothing going to separate me from the love of God. There's no habit too great that God cannot work in my life. There's no addiction too gripping that God cannot rescue my life. There's no pit of unforgiveness that I find myself in that God cannot reach me in those moments. There's no place too dark and there's no distance too far. That what Paul is saying is, is this, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself because God has already accomplished that work on your behalf. And Christians day by day work on that. Christians day by day live like that. That if I do this and I do better and I, and I simply accomplish this in my life, that simply they, that, that makes me saved. And the reality is you are already bought. You are already been paid for by the blood of Christ. Understand that today. It's not about your behavior or how many times you get it right or the list that you carry in your pocket or in your mind. It's not about any of those kinds of things before. You have already been saved. You need to really realize living in that understanding. It's the power of God. God for salvation. It frees us. 
And it doesn't free me to go out and do whatever I want against the will of God. That's not what it frees me to do at all. It frees me to simply obey God by loving God and God loving me. Because what I realize in my life is this. The more I attempt to get right in life, the more I realize how broken I am. What I realize is I'm really bad at being good. (laughs) I realize that about myself, right? That I realize I'm really bad at being good. And you say, Mark, that doesn't apply to me. I move beyond that in my life. Excuse me. Can I tell you, give me 10 minutes with you. If I brought you up here on the stage, set you on this little stool right here beside me, and for 10 minutes, I begin to tell you that you're not as smart, talented, or gifted as you think you are, that you're not near as good looking as I am, you know? If I told you, if I point out all your faults, if I disparage everything that you held dear in life, the harder you simply try to sit there and be good, oh, what, what happens? The more bad that you're becoming on the inside to at some point, here's what's going to happen. If I continue to talk to you like that, you're going to become the Hulk. You're going to turn green. Your clothes are going to rip off and you're going to start hurting people, right? Yes. You say, Mark, I was the Hulk this morning on the way to church. You don't understand. Because that's who we are. And what I realized when I read this text over and over this week, the power of God for salvation is deliverance that is available to bad people like me, to every person that believes. Yes. Oh, there's so much in Romans. I, I have to, I'll never get through this, but that's okay. We'll make a good attempt. Verse 17, for in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God's righteousness revealed. I got to talk about that before we leave today. And I have a few minutes to talk about that with you. The reason the gospel is the power of salvation, it is, it is simply this. In, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He discloses his plan for you. If you don't hear anything, hear this today. God has always had a plan for you. God is not revealing the knowledge of a plan. God is not revealing through the gospel that of a possibility of a plan for your life. God is revealing what he has already done, that God through Christ brings into existence his righteousness over you and I. Skip ahead for a moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam... And Eve, oh, so, you know, let's, let's be inclusive here, right? Talking about Adam and Eve, they get a lot of grief, I know. Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. I underline that part. The free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Here's what God does. God reverses and takes back what sin thought it owned. God reverses and takes back what sin thought it owned, and that is you and I. Because here's God. He's sitting on a judgment seat. Here you are standing in front of him, and you're guilty. Not only are you guilty, but the trial has already taken place. You have already been convicted. You've been sentenced to death is what happens. And God, through his son, what he does, he makes a legal acquittal for your life is what he does. It's not that, and I think this is a part that we miss sometimes or don't think about a lot, It's not that our sins have been forgotten. It's more than that. Our sins have been paid for. Realize that. Not that they're forgotten, but they are absolutely paid for. Why? Because God saw fit to keep the very letter of the law. Why? Because this is a legal binding understanding. 
an agreement. It's a covenant. So he said those things are paid for to the very letter of the law. You and I weren't released from all of our sin because of some technical error, because we had a good attorney. No, we're free from guilt. We're not living today like we're on parole. We're not. As if some point in life, if I do too many bad things, that God is going to reverse the sentence and the ruling, and I'm going to find myself in prison or being put to death because of all the things that I continually do in life. That's not it at all. But my record is clear. That is the gift of righteousness. That's exactly what that is. That he has returned you and I to the right relationship with God as Adam had before sin. We live in a sinful world. Yes, I understand that. But he has restored our relationship with him as Adam had before the initial sin. The gospel is a lot more than just I don't cuss as much as I used to. And I know that you're Christian, so you never cuss, right? So I realize that that only in traffic. Isn't that right? Yes. Well, we can talk about that, right? Yes. And it's more than this, well, let's talk about, it's more than I'm just not sleeping around and messing around like I used to. No, it's much. It's not as much about what I'm doing as much as about who I am. And that changes what I do then. As Paul's point, from the very beginning, it's about who I am. And then he said, and let me tie this together. He said, this is revealed from faith for faith. It's our faith in the very faithfulness of God. Yes. You're trying so hard on your own and you keep missing the mark all the time because you miss this faith faith for faith. It's our faith in the faithfulness of God. That it's all about grace. It's all a gift from God. It's in who and where my faith lies. This is Paul's point in chapter 1 to the church at Rome. is where your faith lies. I don't know if you know this or not. But where Paul says at the very end of verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. The text that is taken by Martin Luther. And, and it is simply the, the springboard of the modern reformation. And where you and I live today. That Simply that we're not paying penance to the church anymore for the forgiveness of sin, but it's simply by faith in God. That Paul quotes that from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 14. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So how do you see the righteousness of God? How do you see the righteousness of God in your life? Because I think when we see that sometimes... Many times we see that as a a rubric or something that we measure our life by or God judges us by, I think, in, in our life many times. That's the way we see it. Martin Luther, in one of his writings, somewhere around 1545, actually it's in the notes online. It'll be on the screen in a moment. This long quote, I'm not going to read it all, but there's something in the middle of this long quote from Martin Luther about that of this very text in the book of Romans And this is what he said. He says, for I hated that word righteousness of God. He says that. It's it's in there. For I hated that word righteousness of God. This is Martin Luther. This This is the father of the modern day Reformation. And he writes that because he goes on to say that because most of the teachers that he has had over his time 
philosophically have simply painted that as simply the judgment of God, that God judges us by his righteousness, that it is simply the measuring stick in which we must measure up to. But yet Paul says, this is a gift of righteousness. It's not a form of measurement. But it is that a return of a right standing in a relationship with God so that it's not our righteousness, but it's his righteousness that we live in today that changes the way. It's a reinstatement of our position with God. I don't know if you realize that or not. Because all the things that Paul is going to say to us in Romans after this really hinges on this understanding as well. Of who you are and where you are in God and how God sees you and how you respond to that love in him. I borrow an illustration from another teacher. I read this some time ago. So I borrow it from them and tweaked it a little bit. But it's like this. You're sitting in calculus class. and just means saying the word calculus causes your palms to sweat, right? And your mouth to get real dry. Yeah. You're sitting in calculus class. You're about to take an exam. This exam is 90% of your grade for the semester. But here's the important part of this whole story. You have not prepared for it. You say, been there, done that, right? And so the teacher distributes the exam sheet. There are three problems on there. You have two hours to complete the three problems that are on there for calculus. You sit there for one solid hour and there's nothing on your page because nothing is clicking, nothing is working. You, you just don't understand any of it. You're frustrated and you are exasperated through all of this. You fear that you're going to fail the class. It's inevitable. You sit through two hours, the next hour, and there's still nothing. It's blank. Test is over. You write your name at the top of the sheet, and you stand up and you walk to the instructor's desk to turn your exam in. On the way to the instructor's desk, you walk by a student who simply reaches out and grabs your arm and stops you. They ask you if they can see your test. You reluctantly hand it over to them. But you notice that their test is completely filled out. Everything, pages of calculations. And you watch as that other student erases the name from the top of their page. And they write your name in that space. They hand you their exam with their name on it, which is perfect. And you turn it into the instructor and you get an A on a test that you never should have gotten to begin with because you didn't deserve it. But there's more to the story. Because what the student that gave you their test does, they take the empty blank sheet that you gave them and they write their name at the top of that and turn it in for absolutely a sure failure of the class. Definitely something they did not deserve. You see, that's the gospel. 
It's the power of God unto salvation that there's nothing that we do to deserve it. And it is simply a revealing of the righteousness of God, not judgment, but covering and reinstatement. That he has covered you today. That we've been restored and redeemed and rescued and covered in his righteousness. And if and when we are faithful, we are only faithful because he is faithful. That's the story of Romans. And that's our journey that we begin today together. So for a moment, would you bow your heads? Closing your eyes, which cuts out all the distractions, those here in the room, those that are watching from church at home, that you would just for a moment pray with us. Father, I want to thank you today that you brought us back to a centering point as we start this journey together. And that centering point is always the gospel. It is that power of God, your power for salvation. That we are reminded again of something that maybe we've heard so many times, but yet, God, you've given us substance behind that, that this is not about us, and this isn't about something that we do, or this is not about something we earned. Are merited but this is you your sovereign work in our lives so father we find rest and peace in that this morning and father we realize also that in light of that it reveals your righteousness to us and when we hear that word righteousness lord it, it does bring some fear and trembling in our lives because so many times god you know that we've been taught Lord, that this is how you measure us. And what we realize today, God, that this is how you cover us. That you reinstate us into right relationship with you. And that is the catalyst and the power in which we have to change the way we love our neighbor as ourselves the way we live this life because truly it's more about who we are than what we do and so Father for those in the room and those that are sitting at home watching today God that you would deliver them from themselves because God so many times we are our worst enemy greatest critic we hold ourselves to standards much higher, Lord, than, than you would ever hold us to. And we lack forgiveness for ourselves in so many times and moments of our lives. And today, God, may we be saturated with your love, the power of salvation. May we be reminded, God, that we are covered today in your righteousness. so, Father, may we find peace and rest in those truths today. So, God, we surrender control to you. We surrender worry and anxiety to you today, God. God, we surrender those moments in our lives 
where we are so judgmental of even ourselves because we didn't get it right. But God, you got it right for the moments when we don't. And God, you simply stand on our behalf those moments when we take a test and we didn't prepare for it you're there so God work in our hearts and our lives today and may we be changed in your